This is the Nostalgic Future Podcast, where the past is the only way forward. We're two guys in our 40s watching the world pass us by, and we know the only way we'll ever be relevant again is to somehow convince everyone to be as passionate as we are about our pop culture obsessions. We're your hosts, Joe Cook and Chris Marchand, and today is our first Batman episode, the Adam West series. Yes, here we are, another nostalgic future episode, really episode number two, if I if I can count correctly. Our first episode, for those of you listening, was our origin story. We encourage you to go back and listen to that if, if you want to hear why we started this podcast. But today's episode, it's all things Batman. Now, Joe, what are we going to talk about? Like, like, are you sure you want to make this one episode? I mean, this could be just an entire, I bet, I bet there are Batman podcasts that exist unto themselves. How are we going to fit this all into one episode? You know, well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to focus on our Batman stories because that's kind of what this, this podcast is about. We're working our way through those things, these pop culture obsessions that shaped us. And I'm going to tell you, Batman was a pretty significant pop culture obsession for me before I was even 10 years old. So we're going to kind of work our way through our personal stories and the different iterations of Batman that we've seen through our lives and, uh, and what they mean to us, what, what it meant to us as kids and what he means to us as a character today. You know, it's funny about Batman. It's maybe perhaps similar to Spider-Man, which is, yeah, what version? And kind of it's becoming this ongoing joke, which is there's just too many Batmans to count too many Spider-Mans to count. And it's funny how Spider-Man embraced it to the extent that like, hey, let's uh, let's put the whole multiverse idea into our movies itself. We'll just acknowledge, yeah, this is get- kind of getting ridiculous. Which is what DC Comics is doing next year, I, I guess, when the, uh, the return of Michael Keaton's Batman in the Flash movie. That's very true. Actually, my son turned to me the other night. We were watching the new Batman and he turns to me, he's eight years old and he goes, I thought the Joker killed Batman's parents, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, well, buddy, you know, there's just, every story tells it a little bit different. And then I even said, I said, it's kind of like how Spider-Man, there's, there's different versions of Spider-Man. Each of them has the same kind of story, but they're all slightly different. You know, Spider-Man ends up with, you know, there's Mary Jane and then there's, what was the other girlfriend's names? Gwen Stacy, though Gwen Stacy was killed in the comic books and then, but not killed in the first series of spider-man movies it's confusing and thus it's the same way with batman and so i think it's really interesting that there you know there's the dark knight there's uh miller's version frank miller and that kind of has continued on till today but we're going to focus first of all before we get to the new batman movie we're going to focus on adam west's batman which by the way before i forget uh frank miller uh dark knight returns uh when i was oh gosh like 10 years old uh my mom bought me they had these two it was like a walden bookstore or something they yeah. had beautiful le- leather bound graphic novels these collection of comics one was the um the greatest joker stories ever told which actually the audience can't see this but you can chris it's actually on my, my bookshelf right behind me and it's just it's a great great just collection it's really cool looking yeah hardback that's classy. But those are old. Those are old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a collection of stuff from the 40s through the probably early 90s. Gotcha. Yeah. The other book, and by the way, I know that was great for the audience that's listening. Um, <laughs> but the the other book was the complete Frank Miller Batman. Wow. Which 
I'm absolutely sure that my mom never actually opened the book before she bought it for me. And to this day probably has no idea how graphic that book yeah. is. Now, see, I've never read like those Frank Miller's things. So I, I, I'm not an expert on it, but is it kind of R rated in some ways? Oh yeah. It's, it's dark. It's very, it makes the new movie look uh, like, well, it looks like the Adam West movie. So this is part of this ongoing conversation about Batman, which as I was watching the new movie, I'm like, man alive. Could, couldn't they tone this down a bit? So it is interesting to think about how Frank Miller offered us a dark version way before, you know, it's simultaneous with, uh, with, uh, uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. Michael Keaton. I'm blanking. Richard Burton. Tim, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Richard Burton. Oh man. You know, Richard Burton's Batman, very infamous uh, from <laughs> the British Batman. Uh, With uh, Elizabeth Taylor as Catwoman. Elizabeth Taylor was Catwoman. She was great. If you missed that one, just, uh, you know, Google it. It's out there. <laughs> Richard Burton, Batman. Uh, Tim Burton, hello. Yeah, and Dark Knight Returns, I think, was like two or three years before that, actually. Before uh, Tim Burton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. See, and so I, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. You know, do I want the grittier, darker version of Batman or do I want do I want fun, campy Batman? I don't know. Let, let's figure this out today. Which one are we more nostalgic about? Which one do we when we think of Batman, like which one <laughs> fills our hearts? Do we want the Batman that's utterly frightening and could punch our face into oblivion? Or do we want Batman who's <laughs> who's the nicest guy around? <laughs> you know, like, well, we are going to get into our Batman conversation. But before we do. We have a rabbit hole update. Now, Joe, before we get any further, and we have a lot of segments today, and we hope you enjoy them and for fun, but I kind of had something uh, somewhat unexpected, and I just need to tell everybody. I, 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 I can't hold it in any longer. Joe, I went to a Rax restaurant. Rax! I took a trip, a, a brief couple of day trip to Chicago. I played some music at a church that I used to go to up there, led some music on my way back home. Uh, I, it, it wasn't hard to figure out. I actually found a YouTube clip of another guy who visited this place. There's a racks in Joliet, Illinois, which is right. Basically it was five miles off the highway on my way back home, back to Peoria, Illinois. Now this is, this is a pretty big deal. Tell me why. I want to say how proud I am of you, Chris. I really sincerely mean this because just last week you were telling me uh, that I, Joe Cook, was a pilgrimage kind of guy. Yeah, and, that's right. and I feel like maybe in some way I inspired you or what, but you went on a pilgrimage this week, Chris. You went to the promised land that is Rack's roast beef. And tell me, how was it? I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Actually, here's what we can do. I filmed myself and there's audio of me going. So we can play that right now. Uh, I, I offer commentary of my experience. Let's hear it. So here I am. I'm in Joliet, Illinois. On my way to Rax. I'm filled with various emotions. I mean, what will this be like? <laughs> you know, this is my childhood. Will, will I be flooded 
with all of these sentimental feelings of having gone to Iraq after years, decades of no racks, even thinking that racks didn't even still exist. And here racks was in my neck of the woods. Can you believe it? Now here's a question about racks. Arby's exists. There's tons of Arby's restaurants uh, everywhere we go. So does racks need to exist with Arby's in the world? I don't know, I guess that's a valid question. Well, there's plenty of burger joints, so I mean, why can't there be competing roast beef sandwich joints? You know, let's determine it as I go into racks. Let's contemplate, does racks need to still exist? I think racks would probably say they do. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I'm just excited to see, you know, what the place feels like. What's funny about Mr. Delicious is this emphasis that it was fast food for adults. You know, I remember as a kid, the kids' meals from Racks, and they had this alligator, like, drink uh, guy that you could... I don't even remember, I guess it came with toys, but I remember the juice or the soda would come with this cup where the head was the alligator, it was an alligator head, and you could, I think you could take off his head. And so what's funny is about the Mr. Delicious emphasis on it is that forget these kids, forget the, the fact that we're going to reach out to kids. And so I'm curious to see if they still have any kids meals. I'm looking for it here and I don't even, I don't even know where it's at. I think I'm getting close. Oh, I spy it. There it is. There's Rex. Even with the classic sign. Oh, I'm excited. I am excited. There it is. I love the sign. The sign itself is retro. All right. Hope it's open. <laughs> Please tell me it's not closed. All right, we'll see. I'll catch you inside. Now I'll tell you what, one thing that I loved about racks as a kid was their atrium. And so I loved eating out into the big sunroom. And look at this racks has a sunroom. It's bright, it's shiny. I love the retro feel of the chairs here. You know, it's great, it's nice. Looks like something my mom would have decorated in here. <laughs> with the, the fake flowers, but it's great. Great feel. Here's my meal, sitting down to it. I got myself uh, some curly fries. Let's see if they're tasty. They're tasty. You know, they taste exactly like Arby's curly fries, which is a good thing. I got myself a, a regular roast beef racks, and then I got a definite treat here with my, uh, with my sandwich and uh, it's, a, it's a barbecue bacon and cheddar and all of that and so I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in here and enjoy my meal you know the problem is the problem everybody is there is no Mr. Delicious he's nowhere to be found in this restaurant uh, they did have the kids meals by the way you know Mr. Alligator or whatever his name is Captain Alligator they did have the kids meals Mr. Delicious, though, obliterated from the face of the earth. He might as well be dead to Rax. Would Rax be willing to bring him back to give the gift of Mr. Delicious to the world once again? Is he worth it? You know, that's our question here is, is he worth it to bring back to the world? Well, I don't know. That's going to be another question for a future time, but I'm going to enjoy my food today. And uh, that's about it for now. All right.
So I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Still enjoying my milkshake right now. But uh, yeah, grabbed myself two sandwiches. I have one for the road. And man, it was good. It was good to be here. I wish there were more racks in the world. You know what? If Sorry to say it. If there were half as many Arby's and uh, as many uh, racks as to fill that space, that would be fine. The option should still be available. It's a great place. Highly recommend it. Time to bring back Mr. Delicious. Okay, so there, that gives you a, a treat, a little taste, uh, uh, taste, see what I did there, uh, of, of my trip. <laughs> I mean, I did enjoy myself. And yes, everything tasted just like Arby's, but it was great. Uh, my milkshake tasted great. You know, the sandwiches were good. What was funny, you know, I don't know if there's a way we can show people my pictures, but their sign that like their main sign, you know, out by the road, it's like from the eighties, you know, like they haven't changed a lot of their stuff. I don't know what to do about that, but I kind of like it threw me back. You sent me the pictures. It looks like it would be like a great filming location for like stranger things. Like, you know, they want to go, they want to go right back in time. Just go to this racks. Yeah. Yeah. The, The other thing that I thought was really cool. I remembered the alligator. That like really jogged my memory. Remember like that, you know, the alligator cup or whatever that they had when I was a kid. Yeah, they still they still got him. Mr. Alligator guy, whatever. Yeah. So you can get the you can get the kids meal. I didn't get the kids meal, but uh, I should have just to get the cup, you know, but. uh. (laughs) Well, we want to say this to our friends at Rax. We still we're serious. We still want to work with you. We still want to work with Mr. Delicious. If you haven't heard our discussion about Mr. Delicious, then you probably need to go back and listen to the entire first episode, which why are you listening to the second episode if you haven't listened to the first episode? You know, but we also put a video up on YouTube of our rabbit hole from last week, all about this Mr. Delicious character. Check it out. Rax, we want to partner with you. We want you to come along and sponsor us on this startup, this new podcast, this new venture. We want you to be, come along. We, we've, we've already given you two weeks of free advertising. So we're asking you to believe in us. Believe in us. We want to bring along Mr. Delicious's entire family. I mean, we think they would be characters in whatever the new commercials for Rax will be. There's a whole universe to explore. We're here for that, Rax. Do you hear us? So reach out to us. It's nostalgicfuturepodcast at gmail.com. We want to talk. Look out, thugs beware, killers watch out, wrongdoers don't dare. It's the deepest dark of night, he waits for the danger. One man's holy flight, evil's only true avenger.
Okay, let's talk about Batman. We've already acknowledged there's way too much to discuss in this universe. So instead, we're going to make it personal. Joe, why don't you start us off? Uh, where did Batman begin for you? You you say it's he was a huge influence on little little Joe, right? So t- oh, tell, big time, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, Batman Begins. All right, where did Batman begin? Okay, um, for me, Batman Begins. I'm probably I'm going to say five years old. Uh, my first real memories of Batman. Uh, so we're talking the mid '80s here, and there was a really popular series of action figures that were out around that time. And I think they were called superpowers. You remember those, Chris? I think they kind of came in a gold package. Coming from the farthest reaches of the universe to challenge the worst villains on earth are the most powerful heroes ever in the battle of the superpowers collection. What's this? The dam's about to blow and take Robin with it? Who will stop the Joker and Luther? Aquaman! Kenner's new superpowers collection figures with power action each sold separately with its own mini comic. Aquaman's down! Who can help now a power ring a power action punch defuse the bomb can this madness be stopped in time you decide i don't remember but i did have early versions of some of these but when i say early i mean like the 80s but i think you're gonna say something about justice league or something around that there was a cartoon i think that's what i don't remember what you're talking about but i got something in that generation of toys yeah i think that and and it probably was the um the super friends cartoon we're probably both thinking of which i think was earlier i think it may have even been from the 70s but i think they were they were still running it when we were kids gotcha there was this series of action figures called superpowers uh, and it was just that it was the justice league versus the legion of doom and it was uh, it was a great collection of action figures and even in the 80s they looked really cool they were really well sculpted they they looked just like the characters some of the later figures that came out in the late 80s and 90s didn't look as good as these these mid 80s ones in my opinion there was an awesome batmobile i I had this batmobile when i was a kid and uh they, they built the hall of justice you could buy the hall of justice i don't think i had that but uh so anyway all that to say i had a lot of these action figures as a kid and batman was a part of that so for me early on i knew batman as being you know with Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash. It was it was all of them, but but I had the toys for Batman, Robin, the Batmobile, the Joker, Penguin. This is like my first real understanding of who these characters were. Side note, I do remember that you could send like the UPCs or something in for free gifts on these. And I got the Clark Kent action figure and a Superman cape, which I then, you know, jumped off the stairs wearing. No, but um, <laughs> so... Then you fast forward to 1989. Now, 1989, this is a game changer for Batman, for eight-year-old me. That summer, Tim Burton's Batman movie was released. Now, of course, that was starring Michael Keaton, uh, directed by Tim Burton, the, the same guys that brought us Beetlejuice, another big movie from my childhood. You know, Michael Keaton was a comedic actor up till that point, you know, Mr. Mom, you know, a stand-up comedian. Uh, It was a controversial casting, which is funny to me now, thinking about how controversial it was casting Michael Keaton when the only other on-screen reference we had was Adam West. So the fact that people were kind of scoffing at a a comedic actor is kind of silly in hindsight. That's a good point. Well, and and another hilarious thing, I don't know if you you know this or not, but in 1988 or 89, when this movie was in production, Adam West 
was actively lobbying for the role again. Oh no, really? <laughs> and was really upset that he wasn't cast to be in the Batman movie. And also like went on talk shows complaining about it. <laughs> okay. And there were actually Bat fans who were supporting Adam West. Uh, this is, you know, probably for a year prior to the movie coming out. And, you know, people have looked back on that historically and kind of looked at, you know, that's ridiculous, you know, to, to even imagine Adam West being in that movie. And at the time it was, well, Adam West is for one, he was just so old. Yeah. Well, he was in his fifties, like 70 year old Michael Keaton is coming back as Batman next year. But yet, you know, 30 years ago, they were talking about how old Adam West, he was too old to be Batman. And that whole, all of that is thrown out the window now. Yeah, fair enough. I think maybe the difference is, is Michael Keaton is coming back as, I mean, they're not going to try to impress us. I, I, I actually, I'm interested to see how active, you know, he'll be. Have you seen the photographs of his bat suit? No. I, I actually, you know what? I saw it briefly, but. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to argue. I think they're trying to impress us. They're going to, they're going to try to impress us. Now there have been iterations of animated television shows. Do you remember what these are called? Where it's like an older Batman and he's passing it on to a younger Batman. I mean, uh, it was a uh, Batman beyond, which Batman was a, beyond. Yeah. That was a sequel series to Batman, the animated series. It's I've seen parts of that show and it's good. And it's, I think that's an interesting premise, right? You know, does Batman get passed on in that kind of sense? Have you seen the Batman beyond movie? No, I have not. It's called return of the Joker with Mark Hamill. I've heard of Mark Hamill. <laughs> you've heard of him? okay yeah i've heard of that guy he's done some stuff you know that's a few things infamously known as the joker right you know he often plays the joker in these animated series absolutely and so the actually batman beyond return of the joker is one of my favorite batman movies interesting i'll have to check that one probably on hbo max again free advertising hbo max are you out there uh we're right here <laughs> so 1989 happens that movie comes out now it cannot be overstated at all just how big of a deal this movie was to me at eight years old and of course not just to me this was huge to an entire generation of kids uh but i'm a part of that and this was big for a few reasons for one it was for me this was the first real like event movie that i can remember seeing in the theater and i can remember going to that movie i remember seeing that movie, how excited I was to see that movie. I remember my parents taking me to Stuart Root Beer afterwards. Like, like that night is ingrained in my memory. Prior to that, I mean, sure, there were blockbuster movies during the 80s, but I was kind of young. What mo- I remember watching most of those movies on TV after they had been released. You know, your, your Back to the Futures, your Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom, all you know, those kind of movies. But Batman... And I was old enough to appreciate and understand like the importance of going to see that movie. Prior to that, probably the biggest movie I can recall seeing before that was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which which is the first movie that I enjoyed so much that I asked my parents to take me twice. Boy, boy, Joe. I mean, our lives are always these parallels. And I I remember seeing Who Framed Roger Rabbit as well. Uh, that movie was a big deal. Uh, also, this will come back on uh, maybe a future podcast episode. Basically, kids movies that are inappropriate for kids. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, I don't think kids. It's like that's, 
that's like the king of, of kids movies that's inappropriate for kids. Yeah, uh, it's just a fun cartoon with a whole bunch of over-sexualized, swearing, violence, dark. It's just, it's so hilarious. And I'm, I'm like, give me more, give me more. I'm just- <laughs> I was going to use the word innuendo, but some of it's not even innuendo. <laughs> no, it's, it's just like, you know, there's the sex right there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but that is funny. And we could argue the original Batman was that, was that too dark for kids too? And, and, you know, people have gone back and forth about it. I think nowadays we'll be like, well, that movie's pretty tame, but anyway, keep going. You haven't gotten us completely through. Well, yeah. Who framed Roger Rabbit was, was big, but, but nothing, nothing compared to Tim Burton's first Batman movie. So what happened was in in the 1960s, when the Batman TV series went in the air, this thing blew up and they called it Batmania. And what happened in the summer of 1989 was that Batmania returned and it was everywhere. Batman was everywhere. Uh, there was the toys. I remember that Christmas getting the bat cave, the, the bat wing. I mentioned last week, I, I had a Sony Betamax growing up. It was the, uh, the Christmas of 1989. We got our first VHS VCR and like all all the first tapes I got were like Batman videos wrap up the holidays with the perfect gift give them what they want the movie of the decade who's this guy the smash hit of the season I'm Batman can somebody tell me what kind of world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat it's all of my press Batman on video cassette. The gift you want to give. The gift they want to get. Specially priced at stores everywhere. Anyway, you know, he was everywhere. Batman had his own cereal in 89. Uh, it came with a bank. Like it was the Batman. You ever see that Batman bank? You remember that? At all? I'm trying to remember. It was just Batman's torso up and you just, you can stick a coin in his head. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah. And they had like they put like stickers uh, on it so that you could see his his eyes. And I I always remembered the stickers for his eyes were crooked on mine, so Batman's face looked like warped. <laughs> My first like superhero T shirt was like you know a black T shirt with a bat logo. Yeah, for sure. And I think everybody had that T shirt. It was uh, it was just such a big big deal. Magazines, trading cards, of course, comic books. Batman ruled the world in 1989. A quick little aside. I probably had a t-shirt like that too. And I'll tell you what, like, I just probably never felt cooler. Right. And I think that's kind of the point. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. Of course, was Warner Brothers marketing to everybody? Oh boy, were they? But when I put on that t-shirt, I felt like the coolest person alive. And so there was just something about their strategy the way that we all felt i'm pretty sure i had it on vhs and i had i probably had like a little you know one of those pins that you put on your shirt or whatever it was like a batman pin or something like i you know i didn't have as much as you did but i had a decent amount of this stuff and oh my goodness i just i felt ah i felt so cool i have a photo of me from the early 90s that i should put on our our twitter that of with one of those pins on my jean jacket it's on my jean jacket with my stonewashed jeans and here's the thing, Joe, uh, we weren't cool. So, you know. Uh... No, no. As you'll see in the picture, I was very much not cool. Um, but Batman was cool and yes. uh, a very, very big deal to me. And I would say that for me, 
Batman was really one of my first true pop culture obsessions. And um, maybe the first thing that I can recall becoming a super fan of. Yeah, so it's interesting. I was thinking about this in a similar way. Batman 1989 was as huge, almost as huge as it was for you. However, my Batman story starts with Superman. And my first pop culture obsession was Superman. I was obsessed. Like, I remember as a four-year-old, this is, this is funny. Uh, every day, my mom, my mom had what was called a diet center. Have you ever heard of that diet center? No. What's that? It was, it was this thing in the 80s. I thought, I've got to go on a diet again. I'll starve. I'll try pills or powders. Then I'll do what I always do, gain it all back. Then I thought, no, it's going to be different this time. I'm going to diet center. No drugs, no gimmicks. I lost the weight, and they're helping me keep it off. See? Can be different. Diet center. Come on, you're going to make it this time. My mom helped women with their diets and exercise routines. And I mean, it's, it's in a way it's like when people hire like a personal trainer or a personal life coach type of thing. And, or maybe like weight watchers and people would come and they would weigh themselves and and all all those types of things. This is a very eighties thing. You know, you kind of imagine that my mom ran a local diet center place as diet center center (laughs) right next to that was a video rental store. And I just remember walking into this video rental store. She must've just let me wander over there. And guess what I went right to? I just had, I had this memory. I was like, okay, I'm renting Superman or whatever it was. Cause I was biding my time at my mom's store and I was bored. I was utterly obsessed with Superman, Christopher Reeves, Superman. And that was my life. Like everything was Superman. And I can't remember, but you know, then they, they eventually stopped making movies which is kind of funny like it's been a long time since i've seen uh, superman 4 but it's when things really went downhill the greatest hope against the threat of nuclear war is superman the greatest threat to superman what are you up to is lex luthor he's created the ultimate weapon to destroy the man of steel is that adorable superman 4 dude of steel where are you gonna get it his most important adventure, The Quest for Peace, rated PG. Starts Friday, July 24th at the UA movie Citrus Heights and the Sacramento Inn. Actually, there was this documentary. Did you ever see this documentary about uh, what was that film company that they actually bought it over? It was made by another film company. You know, I actually, I've not seen the documentary. I actually only recently learned that, like within the last month. And I I never knew that it was made by another company. It makes so much sense now in hindsight. And I have not seen that movie since I was a kid. Yeah, me either. It's been a long time, but the quality of it, you know, went down uh, significantly. It was released by Canon. Canon films and there's a whole documentary about how Canon films came about like basically making B movies but trying to make them seem like A level movies you know high quality movies and and so it's just so funny that the appeal for Superman went down and then you know this other company took over and the whole quality just it was it, it, you know Superman fizzled out it's really what I want to say but in my mind the archetype of a superhero was Superman And then along comes Batman. Now, as a kid, I did know that Batman didn't have superpowers, 
but I just, it didn't fully register. Right. And so what I think is interesting to think about our origin stories, which is the archetype for the greatest superhero. He's good. He's noble. He's bright. You know, he, he, he's almost innocent is Superman. And then you have the shadow. <laughs> you have a man of darkness. He hides in the shadows. Is he a threat? You know, and no superpowers. So I think it's really interesting, kind of our cultural shift and the shift within myself. Like, if you were to ask me who my favorite superhero is, I would say, yeah, I think it's Batman. I've, and I'm not devoted to him or anything like that. But if I'm going to watch a superhero movie other than Star Wars, it's going to be a Batman movie for me. I think part of that is people do genuinely like an underdog. Yeah. And uh, when you're a kid, Superman is like the, when you're really little, Superman is the coolest thing in the world because who wouldn't want those powers? And then you realize he doesn't really have to try all that hard. He's not not doing anything. He's just like, you know, when he goes up against like the, you know, dark side and some of those, you know, really super galactic, you know, villains. Okay. Sure. That's a little more fair. But, you know, like when Superman's just stopping some thug on the street, not quite the same as when Batman's doing it. It's just not. Superman is a demigod. He or, you know, little lowercase g god. Batman is us. And Batman's always wrestling with like the goodness or the wrongness of his actions, or at least he should be. And, you know, Superman, it's like you always trust. And it's actually, you know when the dual Supermans happen, you know, like you have the evil Superman and this always happens. It's like a trope within, within superheroes, but it's like, no, we, we literally have to split Superman apart. You know, like we have to create an evil Superman, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> they cloned him in Superman four, wasn't it? I think it was Superman three, but you know, I could be wrong. Maybe it was Superman two. I'm getting them all messed up. My Christopher Reeve fans. Are oh, gonna- well, Su- Superman two was the one where Superman himself turned evil. That's what it was. Yeah. And uh, he had the, uh, I remember the famous line where they are, aren't you going to save them? He's like, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Man, that's dark. <laughs> I'm telling you, but I think Superman four, they like, they cloned him, but it looked oh. nothing like him. And it was just some blonde dude. <laughs> but yeah you know that's how low the budget was the budget was you know (laughs) they worked with what they had yeah well okay so there's my origin story and yeah i'm I'm interested to hear where things go from there and how does this link back can you link us back to 1960s batman for you which i would say this i honestly can't remember my own timeline at some point uh I, i by the way i was a true devoted renter a VHS from my local library, Montemora Public Library, my small little town. There's nothing I love more than going in there. Like this is where I, I watched Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello and all these old films. And I just, I just find things. Well, guess what? They had the Batman movie, the 1960s Batman, 1966. Is that correct? Uh, yes. It came out shortly after the first season before the second season. So in between the first and second season was the movie. Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting. Soon, very soon, Batman and I will be batapulting right out of your TV sets and onto your theater screens. That's right, Robin. Our first full-length motion picture feature in color opens a whole new world of thrills. 
The big screen gives us more space on land, sea, and in the air to challenge the most bataclysmic collection of super criminals that ever plotted to take over the world. Number one, the Riddler. Question, who's going to make the feathers fly and knock Batman and Robin out of the sky? Number two, the Joker. Have you heard this one? It'll kill you, Batman. <laughs> Number three, the penguin. There are two eggs this wily bird is going to scramble. Batman and Robin. <laughs> Number four, the catwoman. Oh, you're going to see the perfect crime when I get Batman in my claws. <laughs> and that's just a sample of the exciting exploits ahead in our first feature motion picture. Holy memoranda, folks. Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking, Robin. I know I checked that out at least twice, which that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I love that movie. But you know what? I, you, know, you know, the funny thing is, Joe, I don't remember if I watched that movie before Batman 89 or after. Either way, the, the movie was uh, something I, I, I love. So, yeah, link that up with your own story. So that's a great question on the, is it, you know, before or after Batman 89? That's, it's really hard for me to answer that question myself. What I do know is that I was watching the um, 60s Batman series in 1989. And I have very, very vivid memories of this. I was all in with Batman that year. And so I can recall, um, Two channels on my local cable running the reruns of 60s Batman. Uh, first was the um, Channel 11, the Superstation out of New York City, WPIX, uh, ran an hour of Batman every day. And the other one, believe this or not, Christian Broadcasting Network's Mr. Pat Robertson himself, <laughs> the Family Channel. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, uh, the Family Channel ran uh, <laughs> 60s Batman an hour every night. And I watched it religiously. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> so you 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 owe a, a, a you have a debt of gratitude to Pat Robertson. It's the only thing I appreciate that the man ever did for me. <laughs> he gave me Batman. For those of you that don't know, if there's anybody out there that's listening to this, you're like Pat Robertson. Just like Google Pat Robertson earthquake or Pat Robertson. What 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 should they Google? <laughs> 9-11. Pat Robinson, 9-11. There's some fun stuff out there for you to explore. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, and for anybody who's wondering what the Family Channel was, the yeah. Family Channel is, it still technically exists today. Today it is known as Freeform on your cable provider. I did not know. Yeah, so the Family Channel was started by the Christian Broadcast. This is a little, you know, we'll just give a little backstory here. Family Channel was uh, founded by Pat Robertson and the Christian Broadcasting Network. It was not a quote-unquote Christian channel. It was an entertainment channel with original programming, and they ran, like, a lot of old, like, family-friendly shows and reruns of Gunsmoke and stuff like that. So the Family Channel was started uh, by Christian Broadcasting Network. They sold it to Fox with the stipulation that Fox was contractually obligated to run the 700 Club with Pat Robertson twice a day. Fox didn't do well with the channel, and they very famously unloaded it on Disney 
for like $5 billion. Disney, like just, it was like the worst deal in television history, Disney buying the family channel and Disney rebranded it ABC family. And they still had to run Pat Robertson every day. (laughs) And as far as I know, to this day, Freeform, I think, still runs the 700 Club because of a deal he made in the early 90s. Now, I don't know if this is ever going to come up again on the podcast, so I have to mention it. Joe, I've I've been to a taping of the 700 Club. You serious? Yeah. So my brother, one of my brothers, went to Regent university which is hang on a second how is this in in the years i've known you how has this never come up i thought i've told you before yeah uh on the campus of regent university where my brother was going to school at the time it was a graduate school their studio is right there on the campus and then there's pat robertson's mansion on the campus as well so i remember i remember (laughs) walking up to his mansion going you know and there's these huge uh horse stables around them i think the guy really loves or loved to ride horses and then i I, yep i was in a taping i I don't remember the guest or what they talked about but i was there for a live studio taping of 700 club so you saw him no i don't think i did so it was one of those episodes where pat robertson wasn't there there you go so i you know it's like his son was there and then the other lady that they have so (laughs) i think i remember being disappointed about that it was like oh come on where's pat (laughs) that's wild though i had no idea okay well that's this would have been like in 94 95 something like that so i was a teenager that is another piece of the puzzle that is chris marchand right there <laughs> uh are we in a side episode of of like a weird christian uh culture things i don't know is that is that where we're at today <laughs> Well, I don't even know where I was at. Okay, so Family Channel, they ran Batman every day. And I watched it and I actually taped it, taped it a lot. And I still have like a number of tapes that I originally recorded off of the Family Channel and WPIX of, uh, of that Batman show. So I was a really big fan of the 60 series. I knew it was even at like eight years old. I knew it was really goofy, but I still loved it. It's a fun show. Now, I don't think I quite fully appreciated how ridiculous it was at eight as I did this week rewatching it again. We'll get to that because I, I don't think I've watched it really since I was a kid. So it was kind of an interesting thing to approach it at 41 years old versus eight. So I will say this. I didn't have as much access to cable in the various channels growing up. So I, I knew about the show. It was like this thing that people talked about. I just didn't get a chance to watch it, right? So it was not available to me like it was to you. Probably because, you know, you're on the East Coast. You have some bigger markets and it's just a little more easily accessible. And with that in mind, I think this is funny to talk about because actually in, in the last year, I rewatched Tim Burton's original Batman. And the other night I watched through most of Batman Returns. So I have some Tim Burton in my brain. It was so interesting, that conversation of uh, old Batman, you know, it's like it went out of style, like nobody's business, because guess what? Tim Burton's Batman, that's gritty. It's dark. And it's so funny. Like, I found my rewatch of Jack Nicholson as the Joker. I'm like, oh, this is really campy. (laughs) Like, this is over the top nuts. It's not the same kind of style of campiness, for sure. It is certainly darker and heavier. But you know what? Tim Burton yucked it up in that movie. I mean, he really did. He created a goof, a slightly goofy movie, for, uh, for sure. 
anyway, that's just my little side there. <laughs> well, I will say, and I've never admitted this publicly, I was such a fan of the 60s Batman in 1989 that for that year for Halloween, I wanted to go trick-or-treating as the Adam West Batman. But I was disappointed because when I went to the store, all they had was the Michael Keaton costume. Of course, yeah. So my mom made me (laughs) the Adam West costume with the eyebrows and all. And I actually have a picture of that. Oh, man. I it actually it. actually ended up in my local newspaper. <laughs> Why? I, I don't know. I, okay. Actually, I should clarify this. I'm not exactly sure what happened here. I don't know if I was in the paper at the time or not. I was photographed, though, by the newspaper. And you can imagine how weird and surreal this was that like 30 years later, my hometown newspaper did this like retrospective of trick or treat through the years in Vineland, New Jersey. And there I was a picture of me at eight years old in my homemade Batman costume. Very, very strange. But anyway, so I I have a couple pictures of that. When I was really young, my mom made me my own Superman costume. So, and she gave me eyebrows. (laughs) I had huge eyebrows as a little five-year-old. I was like, woo. Did you do the Christopher Reeves, like kind of the curl in the hair thing, you know? I d- absolutely. I, and I have naturally curly hair. And so I was like, yeah, get, give that little kid that, you know, the little curl dangling. I, I had to have the curl. I had to have it. It had to. It was, it was you know, it, it was required in the 1980s. If you were going to be Superman, had to have the curl. Exactly. So I went trick-or-treating as, as the Adam West Batman the following year, 1990, I went as the Michael Keaton Batman. I was Batman two years in a row. So I, I have a couple of like kind of personal stories of just these events that happened in my life that were really big. And uh, the first one, I'll say my parents, if they're listening, I've never actually talked about this with them. So but I have a theory about something that happened and I want to share this. Okay. So when I was a kid, we lived in South Jersey. We were like between Philadelphia and Atlantic City. So I do have a lot of, of memories growing up because uh, there was a lot of events and concerts and things down in Atlantic City, or those casinos down there. And I saw Frank Gorshin, the actor who played the Riddler on 60s Batman. I saw his stand-up routine at a casino in Atlantic City. And I remember this. Now, I don't, I I should say, I don't remember it well. I was old enough to, I I very, very clearly remember being there. I couldn't tell you a joke he said. But what I can tell you is that in the middle of the show, he went into his Riddler. He did his Riddler walk. He did his Riddler laugh. He did his riddle me this. And like he did, and he talked about being the Riddler. That I remember clear as day. Everything else I kind of forgot. but. I do. I remember seeing the Riddler on stage when I was a kid. Now, (laughs) what I want to say about this is I have a theory. Several months prior to that, maybe even a year before that, my parents had went to see him. Now, my theory is that they didn't want to take me because, you know, they didn't know if it was a, you know, family friendly kind of show or whatnot. And they weren't going to take me to a stand up comedian at eight years old. That's my guess. And I understand that. But what happened was now after the show, my parents went 
to like the, the casino lounge and they met Frank Gorshin and they never told me. I suspect that my parents were riddled with guilt that they didn't take me with them. And they met this guy who was, you know, uh, was huge to me and felt so bad that the next time he came around, they took me to Atlantic city to see him. The only reason I know that they met him is because they took my grandmother with him and she slipped and told me like years later, I didn't know that till I was an adult <laughs> that my parents had met Frank Gorshin, which honestly is pretty cool. So mom and dad, if you're listening, we're good. I forgive you. It's all great. <laughs> now, as a kid, would you have known Frank Gorshin? Like if they would have said that name, you would have. So I don't know that I would have known things like that at that time. I absolutely would have. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. I probably, I would, I did know who Adam West was, right. I did know that, but that's so interesting. I would never have been able to tell you the name of the Riddler. But I did watch the show every single day. And yeah. And his yeah. name would pop up. Right. And then you can oh, see yeah. it. And you can see it. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's a great story. Now, again, I'll say this. I live two and a half hours from Chicago, which is a, you know, pretty significant city in America, I, you know, but I never, I never found my way into these types of places, right? As a kid, never had these similar opportunities. So it is interesting, the proximity of the East Coast, casinos, New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. And, and, and that, that isn't even my biggest bat memory. All right. So I remember, this, and this is, this is cool, because I think we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about Kmart in a bit. I actually remember clear as day, I believe this was 1991, being in the Kmart parking lot in Vineland, New Jersey, and on the radio, a commercial came on. It was for a car show in Philadelphia, and they announced, appearing at the car show, signing autographs, it was going to be Batman himself, Adam West. At a car show, yeah. Just like on The Simpsons. You remember on The Simpsons when they met Adam West? I'm trying to remember. It was the it was the Mr. Plow episode. Okay. Oh, yeah, Mr. Plow. Well, right when Homer bought the plow at the car show, like sitting right next to it was Adam West at the table. <laughs> the Batmobile. <gasps> Adam West! Hey, kids, Batman! Dad, that's not the real Batman. Of course I'm Batman. See, here's a picture of me with Robin. Who the hell's Robin? Oh, I guess you're only familiar with the new Batman movies. Michelle Pfeiffer. Ha. The only true Catwoman is Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, or Eartha Kitt. And I didn't need molded plastic to improve my physique. Pure West. And how come Batman doesn't dance anymore? Remember the bat to see? <clears throat> <laughs> nice meeting you. Just keep moving. Don't make eye contact. Which is what he really did. I'd be mean, like, yeah, you know, for, right. for you, you know, the comic book conventions, like they weren't really like a thing like they are now. So Adam West was just making the rounds at boat shows and car shows and whatnot for years, often in his Batman costume. Now, now this is true. I, I did I did not see Adam West in his Batman suit. So then there's a pretty funny story behind this. But so anyway, I hear this commercial. Adam West is going to be at the car show. I begged my parents, you've got to take me. I'm going to meet Batman. All right. So they did. So they take me to the car show. It is a huge line. It was massive. Everybody's there to meet Batman. And this, again, not like it is today. You go to a, you know, a convention and, you know, you plop down a, 
a hundred or 150 bucks or whatever to get an autograph from somebody. This was free with admission. So it was probably like eight bucks to get into the car show. And then you get to meet Batman for free. Everybody in Philadelphia was there to meet Adam West. So we get in line. And um, the only thing I remember costing anything was this is, this is true. There were photographs for sale. If I remember correctly, $3 for a black and white and $4 for a color photo. I got this nice black and white photo here. It's nice. It is a great photo, isn't it? You know, it's a cool photo. I mean, I, I almost might say go with the black and white. It looks great. It looks great. He's got the cape up. He's striking fear into the hearts of criminals there. What does it say? Hi, guy? Uh, no, hi, Joey. Oh, hi, Joey. A West. A West. That's great. That's amazing. So, I, I yeah, it's I'm in line to meet Batman. I, I get up there. I meet the man himself. And he couldn't have been, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm scared to death because I'm, a, you know, 10 year old kid and I'm meeting my hero. But I remember him being really nice to me. I got a picture with him. I, I still have that to this day. I remember this is cringy now in hindsight, showing him a Polaroid photo of me dressed as him two years earlier. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And what I was referencing earlier, that photo of me with Adam West is the one where I have the jean jacket on and the Batman buttons on my shirt. So anyway, we could post that online if anybody's interested. But, yeah. you know, you know, Adam West, of course, do I know the guy? Absolutely not. He seems to be an interesting mixture of absolute class, kind, but also kind of a complete narcissist <laughs> but in an endearing way you know it's like i don't know what your impressions are remembering him as a kid um i just you know when you're a kid like any like adult is kind of intimidating to you like you know and, and this is batman for crying out loud but i do remember him being really nice and then being very friendly with me and and actually probably having like a minute or so to to like talk with him and i do what i remember though about the the convention was when we got there it never even occurred to me, even as a kid, in a million years would it have occurred to me that he would be in the Batman costume. Like, I didn't think that was a thing that, like, I didn't know he did that. Well, he did that for years. Okay. Apparently, when the 1989 movie came out, Warner Brothers, like, threatened him and told him he couldn't wear the Batman costume to appearances anymore. So when we got to the convention center... There were signs up all over saying that Adam West would unfortunately not be able to wear the Batman <laughs> costume today. Emasculated. They, they emasculated him. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, uh, so that was, that was my, that was the big, that was, a, and honestly, I mean, like, that was a kind of a landmark moment in my life, yeah. you know, meeting my idol at that time. I, you know, I don't, you know, it's certainly a, a foggy memory. I couldn't tell you the specifics of what we talked about. What I can tell you is that um, about five years ago, we went to a comic convention in Dallas, Texas. And we went to see Mark Hamill, you know, that guy you've heard of. Anyway, he did this convention and Adam West and Burt Ward were there. But, you know, like, conventions are expensive now so i didn't like we went like with we're gonna meet hamill and you know that's gonna be it like yeah joe we grew up in the golden age you know we got to meet our our stars for eight bucks now it's kind of like 
oh, that's $250 for the afternoon, you know, whatever it is at these conventions. Or I don't know what the actual prices are. but our, our photo op with Mark Hamill was probably 10 seconds long. And there were a thousand people in line getting their 10 second picture. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But what I remember from five years ago, we were in line. We Hamill did two panels that weekend. And one of them was a Batman one. He did a Mark Hamill panel on Friday night. And on Sunday, he did a panel with Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Batman and Batman the Animated Series. So they did an animated series panel. Uh, we attended both of those. While we were in line for one of them, the panel that was happening right before Mark Hamill's was Adam West and Burt Ward. And so I remember asking my wife, would you hold our spot in line? I'll take Joey into the panel so he can see Adam West and Burt Ward. It'd be kind of fun. You know, I haven't seen Adam West since I was 10 years old. It would be kind of neat to see him again. So we went in and uh, we sat down in this panel and it was really cool. You know, it's just people asking him questions and them reminiscing together on, uh, you know, their time as Batman and the boy wonder. And I, I remember Adam West um, actually like kind of taking a little bit of a friendly shot at Burt Ward because they had had a feud uh, at one point. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And I, I re- there, that was in this documentary that you, that we watched and there's little, little glimmers of it. Now I don't remember all of it. I do remember part of it was that they were kind of stepping on each other's lines. Was it, was it back in well, the TV show? Or? Well, no, this happened years later. Gotcha. Uh, Burt Ward wrote a, a tell-all book that got into like more of the sexual adventures of Batman and the Boy Wonder, uh, you know, with like basically fangirls and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. And Adam yeah. West was really upset about that. <laughs> and I remember during the panel, like, you know, Adam West making like a, you know, a very wholesome, given a very wholesome answer to a question saying that he remembers it differently. <laughs> anyway, so it's funny because at that time, my son had never actually seen the 60s Batman, but I just wanted to take him in and show him, you know, these are who these guys were. He knew them. You know how Joey knew them? Because they had done the voices of, uh, younger version on on spongebob of mermaid man and barnacle boy so uh, on uh, which was uh, those characters were voiced by ernest borgnine and tim conway but apparently in a spongebob episode they did an episode where those characters were younger and it was a parody of 60s batman and they got adam west and burt ward to do the voices <laughs> i'm ready to rule the world and its riches not so Fast Man Ray. We've got a little surprise for you. What do you make of this, Barnacle Boy? Tangled timeline, Mermaid Man. I'm. <laughs> you old coots provided me the perfect distraction. Now, prepare to be disappeared. Sounds good on paper, you purveyor of pure evil. But fortunately, we all know what happens to paper underwater. Barnacle Boy, the tartar sauce. So he knew them from SpongeBob at that point better than he did from Batman. So it was kind of yeah. cool. Anyway, all that to say, uh, that was, I think, April of 2017. Two months later, Adam West died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it was, um, and I, nobody, I don't think anybody knew he had leukemia. He had been okay. sick. Okay. And so it was this weird thing, but I'm so really thankful that we had a chance to see him that close to the end. And it was almost like this bookend thing for me. Cause that was such an important part of 
my childhood and then to get to share Adam West with my son right before we lost him. It was just kind of a surreal experience. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Before we get any further along, I think it's time for another Delusions of Grandeur. And now it's time for Delusions of Grandeur with Mike Love of the Beach Boys. In Rishikesh, India, when the Beatles and myself were there, I was sitting on the roof one night talking to Paul McCartney, and he was basically saying that, Mike, you ought to take more care in your in your album covers. You know, we really didn't get into it then. If you take a photo or let the, let the company come up with some horrible art like Endless Summer. And I said, well, you know, Paul, we always sort of cared more about what went inside. She thought that was a pretty cool answer. Actually, you know, because Paul McCartney is very clever. He figures all kinds of stuff out. And he's good and prolific and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I sort of did a John Lennon, how do you sleep at night without saying it in so many words, you know. I got him, I thought. You know, I said, we sort of cared what went into this. In other words, if you listen, if you took a magnifying glass out or an oral audio magnifier out and you listen to the <coughs> quality of the harmonies on a Beatles project and you listen to the quality of the harmony on a Beach Boys project, there'd be a big difference qualitatively, if I may say so, egotistically and objectively, I think. But, but the, you know, I, I just, we just took a lot more care about that stuff. Now, it doesn't mean that we're, we're more commercial or, or better or anything. It's just that's, that was our focus. This has been Delusions of Grandeur with Beach Boy Mike Love, brought to you by the Nostalgic Future Podcast. So, we're going to get more into our discussion of 1960s Batman, and in our next episode, we're going to cover what our favorite Batman is and how this all relates to the new Batman, or the Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. But for now, let's do it in the news. All right, in the news, in this program, we like to get into news that relates to our own nostalgia. And last week, there was a, a news story that was, well, it was kind of a big deal. I mean, people are going to be amazed at how big this is. This is, this is going to impact people. They're gonna, it's going to sink. When, when we tell them this, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is a big deal. For our generation, this is earth-shattering news. The fourth-to-last Kmart store <laughs> has closed. Oh, my goodness, Joe. You're, you're the bearer of bad news here. Tell me more. The fourth to last store was in Avenel, New Jersey. It closed on April 16th, and now there are only three locations across the United States left in New York, New Jersey, and Florida. Kmart. We're talking about Kmart. So apparently, uh, they, in 2018, Sears Holding filed Chapter 11. Now, I guess Kmart is part of something called Transformco, is this uh, company. <laughs> that warms the heart, the Transform Co. <laughs> Does it? Uh, Transform Co. And uh, they, they've got three stores left. And uh, yeah, can you believe that? I mean, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have a Walmart in my town. Right. And so Kmart was like, that was a, you know, that was the biggest store in our town. We used to have a James Way and an Ames and a Bradley's. We had like several different department stores. But like the one you'd go to if you wanted to get like a little bit of everything, that was Kmart. And uh, then Walmart, you know, came and 
I, uh, you know, on a personal note, Kmart was my first job, Chris. What'd you do? I was a stock boy at Kmart. But we called him 99. We were in 99. And so if you're in Kmart, you hear like 99 to, uh, you know, garden center. Yeah. That, was, that was me. Why 99? What does that I mean? I have no idea. Okay. Not, a, not a clue. Does your Kmart have a Little Caesars in it? We did. Well, okay. So we had a Kmart cafe. Yes. That carried Little Caesars. But that was when I worked there. Prior to that, it was just a straight up Little Caesars restaurant. So they was like, I remember there being a Little Caesars and then it transformed into the K Cafe. The K Cafe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'll say this. Uh, I'm, I'm really going to tug on some heartstrings here with, with my Kmart story. Number one, my uncle, my, my, one of my mom's brothers, he is a manager of retail stores like this. He currently works for another uh, large company beginning with K, Kohl's, and he's like a regional manager, right? You know, so like he's, he's basically in charge of all these, these stores around his region, like, and he's kind of like the head guy there. Well, guess what? Guess where he got his start? Kmart. And I remember growing up, like being proud that my uncle, my uncle Stan, are you out there, Uncle Stan? He was the manager of our local Kmart in Peoria. And it was like this source of pride. It was like, it was like, yeah, hey, Uncle Stan, manager of Kmart. You know, he, you know, when you walk into Kmart and you see all those clothes in order, you know why those clothes were in order? It's because my Uncle Stan, he knows what to do. He can run that place, tight ship. He's he he's the commander of Kmart Peoria. <laughs> commander with a K. With a K. Now, here's what happened though. And I actually I think he maybe, you know, he bounced around to other Kmarts. You know how these jobs work. You know, you don't always stay in the same place and you're trying to work your way up. There was another Kmart in a small town called Washington, which was closer to where I lived. And here, here's where the heartstrings get tugged. It was like that Kmart died an eight-year death. <laughs> like, it just took years. And I remember just driving by this Kmart. And it was funny. I was starting to date my wife. And I would go, oh, Kmart. So, so it was dying that far back. <laughs> oh, it was just years. And what was funny is I remember going into Kmart every now and then, you know, all right, I got to get some toothpaste. I'll just go into Kmart real quick or whatever it is, deodorant. And it was like the, the amount of product on the floor was just shrinking. And like, it, it just felt like the different segments. It's like, how come there's so much space in between all these segments? Like, are they selling anything anymore? There was just like a Martha Stewart section. Because I don't know if you remember, like Martha Stewart had a Kmart deal. So it was just kind of funny. It's like the garden section was just like, uh, I think there's two hoses left in the garden section. And that's all there is in the garden. <laughs> oh, I, I, it was Martha Stewart uh kathy ireland and jacqueline smith it was the the, the trinity of kmart uh, spokespeople yeah. yeah the i i remember the the last time i've been to a kmart it's probably been about four years we, when i lived in new mexico we actually still had a few uh we had one in tucumcari that we, we stopped in once or twice one in albuquerque I, I know i went to once and we had one that we went to actually every now and then in farmington new mexico and that one was actually pretty nice like they really kept up with that store i don't know what they were doing different but that was like a fairly you know good store the one in albuquerque's i think the last time i've ever been to kmart we stopped at the one in albuquerque and it was the saddest shopping experience of my life um yeah now this is bear in mind this is like probably 2017 
maybe 2018. Like that's pretty recent. That's pretty yeah. recent. And and I remember going with the electronics department and it's just like old stuff on the shelves. Yes. Like it looked like a, it looked like a goodwill. Like <laughs> it looked like <laughs> or yeah, an old Radio Shack. You yeah. know, like headphones from 1997. But not even like that because it was just kind of thrown out like randomly. There was no order to it. And there was this, um, and and mind you, the store was not going out of business. This is how it always looked. <laughs> we, we, I, there was this big bin of DVDs, and I, I'm digging through it, and I pulled out a VHS tape for Survivor Season 1. <laughs> I love it. There you go. So the whole world, all of our listeners, we're all lamenting this with a big sigh of, oh, Kmart. <laughs> right <laughs> you know I, you know we're doing a funeral march now again hey kmart if you want to advertise we're here <laughs> my, I, i'll tell you my, my my favorite story from working at kmart my, my best friend in high school and i we both got hired there together and worked there for, i was there for about a year and a half he was there for about a year so what happened was my my grandfather passed away in 1999 the week that Star Wars Episode One came out, Phantom Menace, and I had already bought tickets to Phantom Menace. I had like stood in line a week before and bought tickets. My grandfather died. The funeral was the same day the movie opened, and I just didn't feel like going. So my friend who I worked with, he came to the funeral, and I said, hey, I've got tickets to Phantom Menace. Do you want to go? He says, I got to work tonight. And I said, oh, I said, a bummer. He goes, I really want to go. <laughs> I said, well, I mean, they're yours if you want them. But, you know, like he no called, no showed and went and saw Phantom Menace. Anyway, my friend got fired from Kmart for going to see the Phantom Menace. It'd be funny if he tried to get a job at Kmart now. Like he's like, hey. And then, then they're like, they're looking at him like, no way. No, our records show. <laughs> our records. <yeah. laughs> now, my quickly sentimental story about Kmart is I specifically remember it, remember buying my copy of the combined Death of Superman comic. It, you know, uh, not completely hardback, but kind of like a nice, a nice version of it. Whatever, you know, like kind of like a nicer paperback version of it, of the combined Death of Superman story. And uh, I remember buying it, buying it at Kmart. So there you go. That's that's my sentimental journey there. Anything else Kmart related that uh, is worth reporting? We were really not careful in layaway. Just letting anybody know if you shopped there 20 years ago, we were really not careful with your stuff. I, I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> we used to, I remember this is terrible, but like I remember like layaway was upstairs. And so like, people would bring stuff to lay away and then they would call us in to bring the stuff upstairs and we would play catch with like everything, <laughs> like porcelain dolls and stuff and just chucking it up the stairs. And the other guy would sometimes he'd catch it. Sometimes he wouldn't. I, re- I remember uh, I, I, I was we, they used to they used to stack televisions really unsafely high up there. And uh, these, this is not like, you know, TVs like we know today. These were heavy TVs. And I remember being in a TV avalanche once where the TVs came crashing down over top of me. And like, 
I had to wait till somebody came up to help me dig out. Oh, yeah. Kmart, gonna miss you. There's a new old friend in the same old place. With a brand new name and a brand new face. Changing for the better, keeping the pace with the way you live today. Now Kmart is big Kmart. It's a whole new fashion, a whole new style. It's all new faces that make you it's the brands you love. Martha Stewart every day. Sesame Street for kids. Kathy Ireland and Jacqueline Smith fashions. Penske Auto Center and a whole new way to love them. Discover the difference. The big Kmart. Will there be anything else, sir? Big Kmart. <laughs> this is big. You're inspiring me, Chris, because with your pilgrimage to uh, Racks, I, I've got one of the last Kmart's is just three hours from here. Yeah. And uh, um, it makes me wonder, should I should I just go, you know, to just to say goodbye? Because we know they're not going to be there long. Yeah, you can document it. You can see what's in their the bottom of their VHS bin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, hey, by the way, another sad part of the Kmart story. You mentioned like the K Cafe or whatever. So I remember it being so cool that it's like hey there's a little caesars in here and then towards the end it just became like this pitiful concession stand it's like where you just get the the stale nachos you know like you're like <laughs> with a hot dog with the you know it's like and it wasn't good it wasn't it was it was just like oh this is what it's become it it went from cool takeout pizza to uh what you know what have we got in the back <laughs> <laughs> we uh so it, yeah when i worked there it was this you know it was basically that but it did have a nice little eating area still and they did still carry little caesar's pizza which oh. is what you know we so we would get like little caesar's pizzas on lunch and things like that but i do what i remember most about it is there was a walk-in freezer in in the back for all of like the you know the pizza cheese and all that stuff like that and on the really, really hot summer days, we'd like go hide in the walk-in freezer for like 10, 15 minutes at a time. That's great. That's great. Uh, I remember going out to the garden shop and just dousing my hair with water from the hose and then sitting in the freezer because the air conditioner at the store had broken down. <laughs> oh, well, hey, everyone. Uh, Joe, can you let people know what is our email address or find us on Twitter We'd love to hear your own Kmart stories. Do you have your own? Absolutely. Yeah. Reach out to us. Yeah. Drop us a line. We are on Twitter at at past future pod because at nostalgic future was not available because apparently that album has made it impossible for us to get any kind of Twitter handle with the words nostalgic and future of any variation together. Thank you, uh, Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa. And, and uh, she's been clamoring to get on the show, but we, we were holding her off for a little bit before we have her as a guest. It's, it's a little too on the nose, you know? Yeah. We're, we're doing our own thing, Dua Lipa. You, you do your thing, we'll do our thing. You can email us, though, at nostalgicfuturepodcast at gmail.com. There you go. And we're old guys. We're old guys. We like email. <laughs> yeah. This has been In the News. <laughs> Joe, 1960s Batman, you have already said you were more fully immersed in it than I was. I've recently watched a decent amount of the episodes. Now, again, like, what does that even mean? Well, I've, I've watched about maybe 12 to 15 episodes. I've also watched 
one of the more recent animated features that starred Adam West and, and Burt Ward before Adam West died. And th- that was also very interesting because it was a play on the 1960s TV show. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this TV show? Looking back on it now, I, I was most interested and I'll, I'll have to, I have to admit this. I have become a little bit weary of 60s, 1960s Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to be too negative. I want our show to be, you know, just the, the joy of the things of our lives. But I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm good. I'm good for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, you, so what you're saying is we're not going to be doing a watch through of the entire oh, series. Please. <laughs> I think my problem is, is once I started to see the formula of each episode, I was like, okay, I got it. Uh, I, I understand what you're doing here it's a little bit too on the nose of just, it is almost like a paint by the numbers type of formula. And uh, I mean, maybe you can take us into some of those, some of those uh, benchmarks of each episode. So I'll tell you what I, what I did to approach this, you know, to prepare for these Batman episodes, I dug into my archives, so to speak. I pulled out uh, as many of the original Betamax tapes I could find I recorded of 60s Batman in 1989 off of uh, WPIX 11 and the Family Channel. And I found actually I found about five or six tapes full of Batman I recorded. I didn't watch them all. I didn't have enough time to to get them all in. But I watched a couple tapes. I, I watched quite a few episodes. So I wanted to try to go back and because I had such a love for this as a kid and I have not watched the series itself since I was a kid. Um, So I wanted to go back and I wanted to approach this as authentically as I could uh, and try to see if I could somewhat relive that experience. And so I watched them as I taped them with the original commercials, with the original promos. It was an incredibly nostalgic experience. Now, that probably made me enjoy it much more than I would have just streaming them today online, because it really did transport me back to a different time in my life, and in some ways reminded me why I appreciated it. But again, I was eight years old. And again, looking at something through 41-year-old eyes versus eight-year-old eyes, yes, I, I mean... It is not hard to miss exactly what you're saying. In fact, I have a couple lists that I prepared. Now, bear in mind, I watched, you know, probably, uh, it's hard to count the episodes because so many of them are two-parters. I feel like I always want to count the two-parters as, as one episode. Right. But I probably, you know, watched eight of, of these story arcs and just in the episodes I watched, you know, I started just keeping a list of the bat devices, you know, many of these things that are in the, uh, you know, Batman and Robin, their utility belts. And uh, I'll just read you, this is a little list of, uh, of just, just the ones I saw in those episodes. We have, well, of course we have the, the big ones. Everybody knows your Batmobile, your Batarang, your bat cycle, your bat copter, but we also have the bat respirator, the heel and toe bat rockets, the Recollection Cycle Bat Restorer, the Bat Mobile Bat Tracker, that one had bat in it twice, the Anti-Mechanical Bat Ray, 
the anti-lethal fog bat spray. <laughs> we had bat sleep, which is just knockout gas. Bat earplugs, the mobile bat cycle bat scanner, the bat index, which is basically the contacts list on your phone. Uh, the uh, bat jet, which is not a jet. <laughs> it's actually more like a rocket, but not to be confused with the bat rockets. Um, the bat file, the bat photoscope, and my favorite, this was uh, in Robin's utility belt. He had African death bee antidote pills that did not have bat in the name, which makes me think that maybe they got them from a different distributor. I don't know. African what now? What did you say? African death bee antidote pills. She won't leave. She may. But once a death bee lands, she usually stays a while. Or she may sting you, Robin, and you'll die. The grooviest thing happened, Governor. What happened? The bee stung Robin. Well, you'd better take him up to the girls' dormitory and let him perish there. Why don't I perish here? It's closer. You're not dying, Robin. I was down to my last African death bee antidote pill, but I popped it in my mouth and I'm fine. Anyway, that's just the, that's just some of the bat devices. He, and most of these, mind you, he keeps them all in the utility belt at all times. It's, it's a very versatile belt. <laughs> um, I also compiled a, a little list of, of all of the uh, Robin's holies. You know, okay. uh, yeah, you know, holy, holy this Batman, holy that. Okay, which which I've injected into my daily life. I just I, I will say, you know, holy what I'll just figure it out. Like I'll, I'll you know my kids, I'll say it around them, and yeah. Uh, we have holy Titanic, holy Houdini. This is one of my favorites. Holy contributing to the delinquency of minors. <laughs> holy gullibility. Holy rising hemlines, which was about Lord Marmaduke Fogg was. I think he was stealing mini skirt uh, like fabric. <laughs> okay holy levitation holy one track bat computer mind holy fourth amendment holy fourth amendment <laughs> you know unlawful search and seizures yeah i'm thinking about uh, it holy leopard what a change of spots <laughs> um holy Hotfoot, holy weaponry holy bunions holy oleolio holy taxation holy hostage holy merry-go-round and holy sundials so let me say this uh you know as we try to figure out like the appeal of 1960s batman okay when batman 89 hits all of a sudden for many people 1960s batman was blasé it was out of style and part of the thinking was growing up was they didn't know how stupid they were being they didn't know that they were cheesy they didn't know that they were campy watching it as a as a middle-aged man, I'm like, oh, they totally know what's going on. They're, they're goofing the whole time. Like this is, and maybe this is also part of a problem, which is like, should Batman just be a comedy routine? Um, It's kind of funny, but at least I appreciate now that they're having a laugh. They're having fun with it. Oh, there are moments throughout every episode where they are clearly winking at the audience. Uh, There was uh, an episode we watched where they went to Londinium, (laughs) <laughs> so, so they left Gotham City. They went overseas to Londinium. Rudy Valley was the uh, was the villain, and they they went to Ireland Yard, 
uh, and at the office of I- at Ireland Yard in their office, uh, there it was. It was Commissioner Gordon's office. It was the same office. They didn't even attempt to make it look differently. And Batman comes in and he goes, "This, uh, this looks familiar." <laughs> <laughs> and, commissioner, and commissioner gordon goes into this explanation how basically all law enforcement is the same wherever you go I like it, it was it was it was basically a fourth wall break yeah, and right. they, were, they were letting us know yeah we know this is ridiculous yeah and it's one thing after the, the other uh, i don't even know how to quite describe it i mean you know what's funny is my my wife we're watching these episodes and what she was picking up on it was like when the villains are on screen, it's just like one big cackle. Like all they do is laugh maniacally, like from the moment they get on screen to the moment they leave. It's and it's just kind of funny. It's just like okay, they're they're just rolling with it. One of the things I noticed was that very rarely do the villains themselves actually fight Batman and Robin. It's always the henchmen. Right, the henchmen. Yeah. And at first, I was I noticed this in a Catwoman episode, and I thought, okay, well, they're, they don't want to hit a woman, so Catwoman's sitting there, you know, kind of purring and like doing whatever she does, and her henchmen are fighting Batman and Robin. But I noticed it in in a later episode too with Clock King that Clock King was just sort of standing there while his you know his henchmen were doing all the fighting, and uh, and and the fight scenes are very formulaic. Everything about like. Look, let's look at how most of the episodes in the first two seasons are all two-parters. And, you know, there's a cliffhanger at the end of every episode. And it's Batman. In, there's some oversized, ridiculous contraption that Batman and Robin are, you know, are in. You know, will they get out in time? You know, and it's it's such a formula. Like, you know, of course, you know, Batman's not going to, you know, they're not going to kill him. It's kind of absurd to, like, think that this is suspenseful in any way. Yes. And yet they're doing it. Every week. Yeah. So this is perhaps where things got a bit too tedious for me, but it also is pretty funny. I think maybe one of the more humorous parts, if I were to take time and try to break down the logic of it, is when some kind of clue is left or comes in or whatever, you know, um, one of the villains leaves something somewhere or whatever. And then Batman and Robin, they either take it back to the Batcave or they're in commissioner Gordon's office. And they, what they do is they leapfrog from what, like four different points. They're like, this says, you know, it says one thing and they're like, you know, that's just like the world's fair that's coming to town right now. And you know, what's at the world's fair is the roller coaster. And then, you know, the roller coaster is called the abominable snowman. And you know what? I think they're going to be at the abominable. It's just like, um, excuse me. None of that made any sense. What do we do? You'd set a thief to catch a thief. You'd set some cheese to catch a mouse to catch this breed of cat. You'd set a bird. Correct. Robin. And what kind of bird? A canary. You've done it again, old chap. I hope it works, Batman. She's a pretty hip cat. No matter how cunning and crafty they are, Chief O'Hara, eventually all criminals commit the same error, overconfidence. Let's go, Robin. It's every episode, and it's just funny how they play off of it. And it makes my brain like just like tying knots. I'm like going, wait a second. But it is funny as it goes on through each episode. Well, I'll say that definitely, like, as an adult, I enjoyed the dialogue much more yes. than the actual storylines, um, yes. you know, which I'm sure I loved the stories as a kid. As an adult, there's just so much of it to honestly, to be honest, it holds up 
and just how funny it is. I never really appreciated how funny they were trying to be, like you said. Um, yeah. you know, and I think maybe that was a wink to the parents watching with their yes. kids, which you'll find. I mean, how many shows do we watch, you know, with our kids that, you know, our kids don't get the jokes, but what we do. And it's like, oh, they threw this in there for me. Um, I think there, there's a certain amount of that going on with, with 60s Batman. Did you ever get around? Did you see any of the season three episodes? You know what? I didn't with, with uh, Batgirl. Yes. I so, didn't get a chance to. Okay. So what I'll say is you may have enjoyed third season a little better uh, because they changed the format that year. Oh, good. And I'll tell you what they did. <laughs> I'll tell you what they did. They, 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 you know what? They must have listened to my concerns. You yeah, know? Yeah. They took them in consideration. Well, they what they did is they went down to a, a 30 minute. Well, it was always a 30 minute show, but it was on twice a week. But they went to I think they went down to once a week and there was no cliffhanger. They were just a 30 minute story. And so it was much faster paced. Everything resolved much quicker. And, and whereas in the first couple of seasons, some of the episodes could really feel like they were dragging out. It didn't have that feel at all in the third season because it was just bing, bam, boom. On the, the other side of the coin is that um, production value definitely went down in the third year. And you could tell like they weren't quite trying as hard. There was an episode I watched. This was kind of neat. I found it. One of my tapes, I found the family channel had run a special Batman movie event, but it wasn't the movie. There, there was a, in season three, there was a three-parter. Epic. Was, yeah. Is this one I mentioned earlier? Lord, Lord Marmaduke Fogg in Londinium <laughs> was Batman's going overseas and they're making it this big three-part event. And the Family Channel, actually, they did this thing every night called the Family Channel Movie. Well, they, you know, they used their Family Channel Movie Block to do this Batman uh, event. <laughs> and I must have been really excited about it because I made sure I taped that special event. And so watching that, that one did have, because it was a three-parter, it had two cliffhangers in it. And they were really not trying by season three. <laughs> <laughs> There was no big elaborate thing. It was like the Batmobile pulls into the Londinium Batcave because yes, Alfred set them up with a Batcave in Londinium so that they would still have a Batcave to go back oh. to. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it was, a, it was another Batcave. But anyway, they're, they're pulling into the Batcave. These smoke bombs go off in their car that somebody had pl- you know, planted or whatever. This fo- It was fog. These fog bombs. And uh, will they get out? You know, as, as this, you know, the narrator comes over. When the next episode starts, it's like they're in Commissioner Gordon's office. And thankfully, we, we were able to escape the fog bombs or whatever. It was like they resolved the cliffhanger off screen. They didn't even like, they didn't even try. And they did yeah. the same thing with the third episode. It was just, That's there was great. no no effort whatsoever. Now, one of the truly fascinating scenes that you've shown me that I didn't know about, it's when Batman is in a surfing competition with Joker. Now, when was that episode? That was that was season three, um, and that was one of those half-hour episodes. But that one is generally considered a classic. Um, Can you tell me why? <laughs> Batman gets in a surfing contest with the Joker. The order of finishing isn't what counts, Joker. Why not? Why not? Losers don't come in fifth. 
I've tallied all the judges' points. You got one for being the more colorful surfer. Batman got all the rest, including 50 for avoiding a dangerous hazard, a shark. Oh, big deal. A simple deal. Thanks to the shark repellent bat spray and my utility belt. Well, what about my tricks and my technique? You mean my tricks and my technique? I'll transfer to you by that nutty surfing experience and ability transferometer. Oh. <laughs> it was just a little joke. Some joke kidnapping me. Get out of here. Now, I, I immediately thought of Happy Days. I'm like, is this the jump the shark moment? You know, like, uh, you know, like, why is this happening? But OK, I'll, I'll bite. I guess it's a classic. It, it is. You know, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, they, uh, they I think they have uh, they have swim trunks on over their costumes. The, yes. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, they do. They actually sold like like they sold action figures of of surfing Batman and yeah. Joker. Yeah. <laughs> You've ever seen those? It's hilarious. So so Batman and Joker always on the verge of killing each other. But you know what? Things have calmed down enough so that we can have a fun surfing competition. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> oh, why so serious? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And this leads to uh, another point of, of, as far as the the funny formulaic elements of it. Which is, and, and actually, this will lead into our next episode when we're talking about other darker versions of Batman, which is 1960s Batman. He was an upstanding law-abiding citizen. He was always, yeah, he was, so concerned that he's playing by the rules. And really, that also goes into part of the formula of the show. It was mentioned, they, they went out of their way to remind us that Batman was a duly deputized officer of the law. I think in every episode that I watched. Yes. Officer, officer. I don't understand this. How come Batman gets away with driving so fast, cutting around corners, going through lights? Why, if I did that, I'd be in jail the rest of my life. Batman is a duly deputized officer of the law, ma'am. And if he is not pursuing a dangerous criminal, he drives more safely than any motorist I've ever seen. In his off hours, he lectures on traffic safety to driving classes all over Gotham City. No, ma'am. If ever you see Batman driving speedily, you can be sure that he is endangering his life to protect yours and mine. Which is really funny when you think about the newer Batman films, which is always the conflict like like commissioner gordon let's say in the newer films he definitely utilizes batman he needs batman but the public is always they the public doesn't know what to do with him is he there to protect them or is he a threat the police forces don't really like him very much we see that in the new the batman film i mean most of the officers that are shown there's a scene in that movie where Batman is with the whole entire police force and everybody else sort of resents that he's there and they resent that Jim Gordon is sort of, you know, vouching for him. Yeah. As opposed to in 1960s, it's like Batman and Robin, they're cops. Yeah. They're, they're cops. And it's, it's basically like the police forces, they're basically helpless at all times. And they're like, thank you so much for being here. Our civilization would collapse without you. And then Batman's like, yeah, I know, you know, like, you know, the, the Irish uh, captain 
He's just like, well, I just didn't even know what I was supposed to do. I'm just going to sit here and wait until Batman shows up. That's, like, that's Chief O'Hara. Chief, he's the chief, the most inept chief uh, in existence. But thankfully, Batman is there to save the day. So there, there was a line in uh, I, I watched. Uh, we did a two part Catwoman episode. It was uh, hot off the griddle, the cat and the fiddle. <laughs> and uh, there's. There's a line where uh, Commissioner Gordon, they're in the office with Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara, and they're talking about how there's all of these cat-related crimes that had happened. And Chief O'Hara goes, but what does it all mean? (laughs) Yeah. That guy still has a job. Amazing. You know, what does he go home? What does he go home and like think, what am I going to do tomorrow? You know, like just show up and wonder what's going on, you know? Oh my goodness. Well, there you go. You know what? One thing that I think is worth bringing up that you brought to my attention, and I do think this is significant, is, and I did watch this episode with the the time, Mr. Time Guy, whatever he is, but guess what? The Clock King. Of course, I get it wrong. Now, there's so many villains, right? I could have named an actual villain anyway. There's so many of them. But guess what? Those episodes were written by Bill Finger, who is we might say the original, the, the, the creator of Batman. And again, it's murky, right? Was it Bob Kane? Was it Bill Finger? But there's a whole documentary out there, which I, I enjoyed a few years ago. And I just think it's significant to bring up his name. I think we should be remembering Bill Finger's name. What do you think? Absolutely. And it is a great documentary. It's called Batman and Bill, and it's available on Hulu. And uh, I'm sure some of you listening have seen it. If you haven't, check it out. It's it's one of my favorite documentaries from the past few years. And it's heartrending. It's, it's, it's tragic. It's really sad. But the basic story is that Bob Kane had an idea for a character named Batman based on, you know, he saw the success of Superman and he wanted to sell this idea. And so he thought of a bat. But when he thought of Batman, his version of Batman looked nothing like the Batman we know. He wanted to put him in a red suit. He had blonde hair. Uh, he looked nothing like Batman. And he had none of the story, none of the backstory, any of it, none of it was fleshed out. He went to this friend of his named Bill Finger and he worked with Bill Finger. Bill Finger redesigned Batman and he turned him into the Batman that we know. Bob Kane sold the character under his name and hired Bill Finger to write the comics. Bill Finger wrote countless original Batman comics. I mean, for decades, working under Bob Kane. And Bill Finger created everything that you know and love about Batman. He created, you know, Bruce Wayne, the Batmobile, the Batcave, Gotham City, Dick Grayson, Robin, all these things, most of the villains, and so much of the mythology of Batman was by this guy, Bill Finger, who never got any credit at all and died. Basically, he died poor and in obscurity, lost seemingly for all time to never be known as the true creator of Batman. And really, uh, it was even decades after he died before his family was able to sort of vindicate him and, and get him credit. And the Batman versus Superman movie is the first time that Bill Finger was ever given credit and it was and he's still to this day he's credited as created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger even though Bill Finger did create everything basically um the reason that this episode is important is because 
this the episode uh, the two parter was the the cock the no, the cock the cock king. <laughs> that's a that's a whole different movie. <laughs> yeah, you know that that'll be the next generation. Like the <laughs> who's the new Batman villain? Whoa, they're going way too far this time. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> The, the clock king uh, we're trying to the, keep this pg folks but sometimes we can't help ourselves <laughs> okay uh, so the reason that this uh these episodes were important um the clock king's crazy crimes and the clock king gets crowned these episodes were co-written by bill finger and they're the only time in his lifetime that he ever received official credit for writing anything related to Batman. So the only time anybody ever saw his name in his own lifetime was on the screen in these two episodes. And it was, it was a really big deal for him personally. There was, um, it was co-written by one of the other comic book uh, writers named Charles Sinclair. And uh, I remember in the documentary, they interviewed this guy and him talking about how when they wrote the script, it was written by Charles Sinclair and Bill Finger. And he said he could just see kind of, bill beating around the bush like he wanted to say something and he asked him well, what's up and he said you know just this one time could we put my name on top and uh he, he said sure you know and they, they switched it around so it was written by bill finger charles st Clair, and they went to abc to watch the episode on a color tv and uh i highly recommend the documentary check it out but this this is a kind of an important episode um, really, if you want to look at the entire Batman mythology, it, it might be the most important Batman episode just for that reason alone. Hobbits? Robbed? Broad daylight? Commissioner, did you hear the news? Yes, Chief O'Hara. And ominous news, I'd say. The knockout gas the criminals used came from an antique clock. Then it's himself. That conniving crook who uses time for crime, the Clock King. I fear we're in over our heads, Chief O'Hara. I'll contact the Cape Crusaders at once. Yes, I quite agree, Commissioner. From what you say about the robbery at Hummerts, it clearly indicates the modus operandi of Clock King. Clock King? Apparently, Dick. But this time, we'll bypass police headquarters. What? When one is dealing with a villain like Clock King, one must use time wisely. We'll go directly to Hummert's gem shop and try to pick up the lead from there. To the bat poles. So you watched this episode then? I did. Okay, what did you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> it was just like all the other ones, which is fine. It, was it okay. really is. But the Clock King, like, I, I was just like, this is a goofy villain. Like, that's kind of, like, he, I mean, he just looked, he, he looked like somebody's uncle that they dressed up in a, a zany outfit. So, I mean, it was fine. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? I, I need to, I need to know. Give me some insights. My thought was just honestly, like, why is this guy so into clocks? Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, he's, he's making, he's, he basically got caught because he took too much time to steal you know, Bruce Wayne's collection of, of, of priceless watches. And it's yep. like, well, well, I got to get these watches while I'm here. This guy's got like a real watch thing. Um, yes, he does. It is, it is just like every other episode. The one thing I thought was kind of cool, though, and it kind yeah. of plays back into the importance of Bill Finger having written it, is that um, one of the, you know, pieces of the formula 
one of the um, things that we see time and time again on the 60s Batman is that Batman is, and, and Robin, they've been captured, they're tied up, they're in some giant trap. This contraption was cool. I mean, I mean, the, the, the sands, like that was really neat. I, I, it was really interesting. I was sitting there watching, I was like, boy, are they breathing that stuff in? Like really the actors, the actual actors, like, you know, they were stuck in it. It was a big hourglass with pink sand or pink something. I don't know what it was. And they were trapped. And I thought that was, I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting that that element was. It was, it was very cool. And the importance of that is that okay. uh, in the comic books, Bill Finger, um, that was one of his trademarks. He, in his comic books that he wrote for Batman often had these elaborate giant traps that Batman and Robin you know, would find themselves in. And that was actually taken from the comic books and used in the show. And so to have him write an episode where they used really this idea that was his all along, which is kind of a neat thing to, I I don't know, worth pointing out. Yeah. And it was a very, it was a very cool trap. And just to give you another one, the animated movie that I watched, they were tied to a giant TV dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Like and it, they even walk into like, it was a TV dinner factory is what it was. And so anyway, they were slowly working their way towards a giant oven. They were going to be cooked in the oven. You know, I saw that a couple of years ago. I forgot that's what it was. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I was thinking that they were going into a fire. I forgot about the TV dinner. That's hilarious. Yeah. There you go. Um, there was a Catwoman one. I watched where it was like, they were under a giant magnifying glass. I think that was probably a pretty famous one. There you go. And of course, Batman and Robin, they tilt themselves just so, so that they can use the magnifying glass to burn holes in the ropes that are uh, tying them down without burning themselves, though. Well, okay. So with the TV dinner, there was lemon curd as the, as the dessert. <laughs> and they were like, lemon curd, that's acidic. Well, that's the only way we can break through our ropes. And so <laughs> Batman, he shoves his his hands into the lemon curd and he's like oh just enough you know <laughs> the acidity as as if acidity works like that in 10 seconds you know uh but but you know that's how he got free that's hilarious <laughs> well this wraps up our conversation of adam west burt ward 1960s batman uh joe what are we going to talk about next episode because this is this is going to be a month of batman what, what's coming up next well, next week, we're going to talk about the new film, The Batman. And um, there's going to be elements of 60s Batman that are going to come up because you, it's impossible to talk about something that dark after watching something that light for, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was almost a jarring experience for me to watch 60s Batman all weekend and then to see the Batman film. And yet I found elements of 60s Batman in The Batman. And I think we'll talk about that in... Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about our favorite Batman as well. Like what when we think of, you know, you, we've, we've bounced back and forth with different versions of it. So uh, we, we want to try to hit on that. But we're also interested in, in your own Batman stories. Uh, feel free again. Find us on Twitter, uh, email address. Share with us what when you think of Batman or what is your own Batman story? The one when you think of that's my Batman. Maybe you're from a different generation or maybe you're from an older generation and and there is no other Batman other than Adam West. Uh, So yeah, please uh, hit us up on Twitter or our email address. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Nostalgic Future Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Nostalgic Future Podcast. 
We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at nostalgicfuturepodcast at gmail.com. We may just read your letter on an upcoming show. Follow us on social media, Nostalgic Future Podcast on Facebook, and at Past Future Pod on Twitter. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review to help support what we do. Until next time, remember, the past is the only way forward. Not so fast, old chum. But we're in a hurry, Batman. Jaywalking is extremely hazardous, especially at night. As duly deputized officers of the law, it is imperative we follow the rules. Gosh, yes, you're right, Batman. No one's above the law, even when you're trying to enforce it. Quickly, Robin, to the crosswalk!